You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hey, I'm Will, and they call me the doctor. And I'm Joe, the maestro. We host a podcast called Common Creatives, where we break apart the art we love to see what makes it tick. Basically, we give you the definitive take on whatever or whoever we're discussing. You don't need to go anywhere else. So check out Common Creatives wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. And this show is brought to you by my patrons. And I need to thank my latest patrons. They are my personal lords and saviors. I really can't do any of the work that I'm doing without them. And they are ensuring the long life of my work, not just the blog and podcast, but all the other creative projects that I'm involved in. So, you know, if you saw some of our live events last year, if you like the other shows that I'm involved in, Bubble and Squeak, Bible Bash, um, Eleventy Life, Common Creatives, all the other stuff uh, I'm doing with Rock Candy Recordings, then uh, please support my Patreon. And that is the best way to ensure the long life of my work. So this week, I need to thank A.A. Ron, Barry, Rowan, Shiva, Nathaniel, Nick, Phil, Kelly, Kisa, Christopher, Lady Lilith, Jen, Mal, Lisa, Willer Clowns, and Kitty R. Thank you all so much. You are so amazing. And I really can't do this without you. All right. Well, we are back to the quarantine series, the coronavirus series of Sacred Tension, where uh, I am just so exhausted and so out of it <laughs> that I am unable to put in the normal amount of work for these shows. But I still want to bring these conversations to you. A lot of us are stressed out. A lot of us are lonely. Uh, a lot of us are feeling isolated, so it's important to um, kind of have these digital spaces, to have these conversations, and I wanted to to still provide, provide pr I still wanted to provide that to you, but um, I just can't edit them, I can't put in the, the normal amount of work. So, with that said, I am delighted to welcome my friends Black Mass Appeal to the show. So Simone, Tabitha, and Daniel, the hosts of Black Mass Appeal, they are here for some casual Satan chat. So welcome, my friends. How are all of you? Hi there. Good, uh, you know, considering the circumstances. <laughs> yes, considering the circumstances. And I, I just have to, like, confess from the very top, I feel like, like fucking garbage today. Like I've had a, a terrible headache. I'm exhausted. All I've wanted to do is just like lie in bed and play Animal Crossing all day long. Um, so same but am... Mario Kart. Oh, I love Mario Kart. Which version are you? Are you on the Switch? No, this is the iPhone version. Oh, okay, very nice. Well, the one on the Switch is really fucking badass, and 
we should all we should all have switches so that we can all just compete with each other and have like a little Satan match. Um, See, I um, I bought one and it took me ages because I wouldn't spend more than like the market value for them because people were selling uh-huh. them for like five hundred, six hundred dollars. Oh, I know, it's nuts. So I had to get a Switch Lite, which is not ideal, but I did it. That's what I have. I really wanted to play Animal Crossing. <laughs> yes, that's I. I have the Switch Lite, and I really, really love it. Um, I prefer. By, by the way, uh, not to interrupt, but point of order: Is there any way we could refer to these as Hellfire side chats? Hellfire side chats. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, Daniel's so before really we good get, at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm so fucking terrible with puns all right so before we get any further please introduce yourselves and tell people who you are and what you do well uh we three are the hosts and producers of the black mass appeal podcast which is a podcast exclusively about modern satanism uh we're all administrators for satanic bay area so that's how we know each other and that's kind of where we're operating out of and our show uh, comes out every two weeks on Tuesdays, and we use it to discuss uh, modern Satanism, its histi- history, uh, left-leaning political activism, and how Satanism relates to current events and pop culture. At least that's the spiel that I say at the top of every show. Beautiful. Beautifully done. And so, yeah, all of you are administrators for the Satanic Bay Area, which, really important to clarify, has nothing uh, has nothing to do with the Satanic Temple, right? So you are a separate right. organization. Exactly. We are, yeah, we're an independent grassroots organization. A lot of our members also happen to be members of TST. Certainly not a requirement, but we are uh, independent. Right. And t- talk some about your specific community, uh, Satanic Bay Area. Like, it's it's a bit more broad is the impression that I get. So you have like, some theists in there. You have some non-theists in there. Talk some about your community and what you do. Like to what? Be, what? What is the life of your community? To be honest, I I don't think we're necessarily that much more diverse ideologically than a lot of groups. I think mm. most of the people who are who uh, hang out with us are either members of TST or they're at least very sympathetic towards them. Uh, we do have folks in there that have a variety of their own beliefs. And we all always say, we're not here to police anybody's beliefs on their own terms. As long as you get along pretty well with everybody here and you share our goals, that's really all that matters to us. So we open the door to a lot of kinds of folks. How we compare to the makeup of uh, other other similar groups in other metro regions and states uh, i couldn't tell you but i suspect that it's probably not as much variation as as you might think based on that question uh but since you mentioned it yeah like we, we do have some people who have uh some interesting cosmological beliefs that uh you know for example don't really um uh, appeal very much to a person like me but at the same time it's like well you know that's not necessarily the most important thing yeah you know my personal attitude is very much in line with that. You know, like when people ask me about that, like how how do you how do you respond to say theists or to new agers or or you know um witches who have more of a, a supernatural belief. Uh, my reaction is I don't care what people believe. I'm all about how they treat one another. 
And so yeah. like, yeah, just I, don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Just don't be an asshole. Like I, I don't have the energy to care <laughs> about what people believe. I just don't. And so, you know, and I know that in TST, there's kind of this constant debate going on about, well, who's allowed, who isn't allowed. And, and I'm like, Oh, I just don't give a fuck. I just don't care. Like as long as people know what TSD specifically stands for, that's good enough for me. <laughs> and and personally, like I only care if you believe in wood elves, if those elves tell you to not vaccinate your kids. That's the only time. <laughs> Otherwise, if, if if the wood elves that you believe in tell you to love your neighbor and take care of poor people and, you know, embrace all the LGBT people and people of color in your community, then I am so fucking down with the wood elves. Um, I really just I care about how... Yes, I am pro wood elf, assuming the the wood elves do not tell you to believe in stupid bullshit. Um, so I yeah, I remember hearing you kind of describe all that on Black Mass Appeal and thinking that sounds like a really cool community. How has it been during COVID nineteen? Like how are how are you Shit. all doing? <laughs> <laughs> like how are you all doing during this crisis? Just to individually and as a community well i am still working i work in manufacture food manufacturing so everything's been very slow but i don't really you know we don't press the flesh at all there's no people around so we've still been working so i at least have that outlet that some other people don't yeah uh, but that doesn't really help my mood that much because work is still work and it sucks. <laughs> Absolutely. But also Animal Crossing, which has been Oh, girl. Thank you Saving. Animal Crossing. Thank you Nintendo. <laughs> so or... so I have this conspiracy actually. If I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if I were, this would be my favorite conspiracy theory. I have a conspiracy theory that uh that the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus, was actually manufactured in a lab in Japan by <laughs> Nintendo. There you go. <laughs> and it was released to coincide with the release Just of to Animal sell Crossing. Animal Crossing. <laughs> Just to boost the sales <laughs> of Animal Crossing, because That's they a great knew reason to kill a lot of people is because you want more people to play Animal Crossing. Super good plan. Absolutely, <laughs> I think I, it's I, brilliant. I will say, if you want some insight into how I'm doing personally, check our daily Baffirmation hashtag on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter, because while we, we do try to calculate those to always say something helpful for people, oftentimes the specific wording varies depending on my mood the day that I write that one. So you may be able to uh, crystal ball gaze a little bit about where my head is at based on... <laughs> what we said today on those channels. Um, I, I will say that observing everybody else, there are various ways that we're trying to help each other when, when you know, people have, when uh, our various Satanists have a need, we can reach out to each other and usually somebody finds a way to help. We try to be there for each other, you know, emotionally as best we can. Uh, we are still trying to be active as a group. We have, you know, online events and, and social distancing friendly uh 
programs that we are keeping up as best as we can. I will say the most stressful thing for me personally has actually not even been the isolation or the uncertainty of the larger national story. It's been the fact that these are the times when a group like this should be doing the most for our members. This is what we're here for, right? To be community. Yeah. Um, but of course, the nature of this crisis makes that as hard as possible. And that feels kind of like cheating somehow. It feels like life just is screwing with us in a way that it's like, it's like uh, if, there were, if, there, if there were a contract, I would have included a clause against this specifically. Like, cause problems, <laughs> sure, but please don't handicap me this way, if you'll pardon that expression. There is something really cruel about corona about the covid-19 pandemic because it when there is a crisis you know millions and millions of years of evolution have trained us have conditioned us to come together and but we can't do that and so it's like there's the we're we, it's almost like we're having to fight against our evolutionary wiring our evolutionary programming for like when when we're under assault or when there's a crisis, this is what we need to do. We all need to come together and, and, you know, love each other and support one another. And we physically are unable to do that. And I think that that is causing like this really deep crisis for a lot of people. It's kind of painful. Yeah. I think that uh, we've all, we've all seen post-apocalyptic movies. We've all seen the Mad Maxes and the zombie movies. And I think we all in our minds had an idea of what the apocalypse would look like. Not that necessarily it, that the world is literally ending right now, but it's, you know, a, a global you know disaster essentially. And it doesn't look like what we thought it would look like. Like we thought that there would be, you know, marauding gangs of armed bikers or, you know, zombies munching on people's brains and we'd have to like fight and we'd have to come together. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Instead, we have to stay at home and sew pretty cloth face masks and learn to cook and make bread and play uh -huh. Animal Crossing. So it's just not what we were expecting. And I think it's really thrown some people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So. And keep and keep the existential dread at bay. And, and it's like I've found myself in this perpetually weird place where so I'm I'm working fewer hours. I'm an essential worker. I manage a grocery store. I did a conversation several weeks back specifically about being an essential worker and how like fucking traumatizing that's been for me. Um, so. But I'm working fewer hours and by like, I mean, drastically fewer hours. Everyone in the company is. So suddenly I have more free time than I've ever had <laughs> in like six years. And on the one hand, it's really nice. It's really leisurely. I'm able to spend a lot of time with my partner. I'm able to spend time with my cats. I'm doing lots of reading doing lots of yoga and it's like i'm able to settle into this into almost like this superficial comfort but just beneath the surface there's like mm -hmm. this constant existential horror so yeah. it's like oh what a lovely day <laughs> and, but just beneath that it's like oh the world's falling apart it's this it's so bizarre it's so weird it yeah, is weird I, uh, the idea of like 
our apocalypse being like the comfort apocalypse. Because you'd think in like these apocalypse <laughs> things, like you think Mad Max, oh, it's this hard life. We have to come together because everything's really tough and we're out of everything. We're now we're just all like, I'm so cozy and it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Americans just want to be like the cowboys in every situation. And this is yeah. like not conducive to that. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, it's really important for us to not forget, um, you know, the. A lot of people are less privileged, don't have yeah, as financial, yeah, don't oh, are not sure. as financially secure, and so a lot of people, this is much less comfy for us. It's the comfy apocalypse, but for a, a lot of people, it is. You're right. That is a very it, privileged thing that it I just is said. The, <laughs> no, I mean we're we all have our we all have our privilege, but um, yeah, I mean there are so many people who are just absolutely struggling right now. Yeah, I was and, uh, reading an article. Uh, gosh, I can't remember where it came from right now. It might have been Washington Post, but they were uh, breaking down the different demographics in the response to the coronavirus. And, you know, they were saying something like 73% of Democrats wear masks when going out compared to 59% of Republicans. And one of the things I thought was most interesting was that, you know, the people who are protesting for reopening um, they're not the demographic that you would think. Like you would think mm. that the uh, demographic who's protesting for reopening would be the people who have the jobs that they need to get back to in order to earn money and start to survive, which would make sense. But that's not who's protesting. Mm. Who's protesting as a class above that. And the reason that the people who, you know, you would think would protest aren't is because, number one, if you're a lower income, and you're working one of the jobs that would put you on the front lines, uh, you understand that you might not have the health care to help you if you get sick. Exactly. Uh, if you are a part of this you know, group, then you might be a person of color, and the communities of color have been you know, much more impacted by this. Uh, if you're part of this group, you might personally know somebody who has gotten the virus. And so for all those reasons... They're not the ones out protesting, even though their jobs are much more precarious, their financial situations are much more precarious, which I think really opens up the conversation about class that needs to be yes. had in the response to this thing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like working a grocery store, I see a really wide swath of the local community because everyone has to eat you know that's that's kind of the uniting force of humanity is that it doesn't matter what class or demographic you're from you still have to eat and so especially for a kind of discount small family-owned grocery store like i'm part of i see a lot of different dem demographics you know homeless drug addicts all the way up to you know the the you know, boomers from Florida who come flocking up every every summer to <laughs> to vacation here. Um, and i I think I, I think I agree with that assessment. I will say that one of the things that has really been frustrating, and I told this story several years or <laughs> several years, several weeks ago, feels like several years, Jesus. It's all yeah, together. yeah, yeah. You're, oh my god, that's totally fair. <laughs> well, like I was, yeah. I mean, like I was journaling the other day, and I'm like, it feels like 
it feels like we've been in this weird alternate dimension for so long now. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's weird. But several weeks ago, I told this story about how there, it's almost like there's so many people and, and a lot of them are older in my community who just don't seem to think that they can be hurt by this or that they can die. And maybe it's just the older Republican community in my, you know, in my town. But this older woman, she got way up in my, in my bubble, in my space at work and her, and as she did so, she said, oh, you don't have anything to worry about. I'm healthy. Uh, okay. (laughs) And I'm like, sweetheart, that's not how that works. (laughs) You should be worried about me. I could be an asymptomatic carrier. Um, Anyway, so does anybody how, else remember like the douchey straight dudes during the AIDS crisis who thought that they did not need protection? So <laughs> I was born in 1988, so I don't remember much of the beginnings of the AIDS crisis. Were you I around? I, I guess I don't remember much of it myself either, but I know these people anecdotally is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Well, tell me, tell me more. What do you mean by oh, that? Oh, just that, like it was, it was. Um, when they started promoting safer sex programs, it was very, very difficult to get through to particularly young straight men because they mm. resented, you know, this uh, perceived infringement on their sex lives. And because it was very difficult to convince them that there was that there was any kind of danger, you know, they would be in denial. They would say, I can't get sick. I could tell if somebody is sick. I'm not gay, so I don't have anything to worry about. And these are sort of. That, that 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 saying about how history rhymes this is the rhyme yeah. it's a different group of people sometimes but they're saying they have pretty much the same attitude yes exactly you know like i i see so many people at the store who are basically like oh you know we are just you know i have a really healthy immune system so i'm fine and these people are not wearing masks they aren't you know they they aren't taking many precautions and they're just assuming that because they're really healthy that their immune systems can can beat it. And that is not how okay. this worked. I mean, this this virus is completely unknown to humanity. Like our immune systems have never encountered this thing before. Um, I'm wondering if you have seen an uptick in conspiracy theories. I, I feel like as Satanists, we have a particular interest in conspiracy theories. Um, at least I do, because I'm a Satanist. I'm wondering if you have seen an uptick in conspiracy theories, and if so, what, which ones? Well, uh, well I'm the conspiracy person. Yeah, on the show, yes, so Daniel. I, we'll, that one. I would yes, say, actually, no, I haven't seen an uptick, mainly because okay. social media being what it is, there was kind of a saturation point. I will say there's more attention being paid to them, both in terms of, like, media scrutiny and attempts to debunk and then probably unfortunately um people who would not otherwise uh have wandered into that sphere uh do seem to be catching a little bit of it which unfortunately is how that starts like you know it's it's a very it takes a very small thing to radicalize somebody these days but in my opinion no this is just sort of if it wasn't this it would be something else and and a lot of time it still is Mm. something else you know um, like the, the the big one, I guess, is the five G conspiracy. That, but that did not start with this. People were railing about five G conspiracies, you know, a, a year ago. Um, they yeah. just adapted it 
to this new series of events because that's how conspiracies work. They are the anti-science in that they can conform to any evidence as opposed to, you know, um, as opposed to evidence informing your conclusions. Your conclusions will just sort of cleave and glom on parasitically to whatever is happening objectively. I have a question. <laughs> did 4G get this kind of treatment too? I'm Let's told it that it did. I don't remember that, but I've, I've had people tell me it's like, yeah, every new generation of technology oh, yeah. gets this treatment. I Let's mean, like Wi-Fi, right people, people like freaked out about Wi-Fi. People freaked out about microwaves, like every new there's some and i will admit for someone who is science illiterate um it's probably i could probably phrase that in a more charitable way people who are people who are still learning science and a scientific worldview i get how it can be kind of creepy you know it's it's invisible it and because it's invisible, it it might feel invasive. I get how, like, if you don't have a good understanding of science, it could feel intuitively creepy, you know? You know, the, the subject of conspiracism and uh, charitable or uncharitable attitudes towards those people makes me think about going back a couple of minutes ago when we were talking about, you know, people's beliefs and how, if at all, do you... Uh, respond re react to them when people believe things that you do not and and of course um the policy in sba and on the show is, is what we said it's like well that is not ultimately the most important thing and we're certainly not going to tell you what you have to believe if you're going to associate with us but and people who listen to the show have heard me talk about this before i just purely personally struggle with that a lot because on the one hand I'm very influenced by people like uh, Carl Sagan and Douglas Adams, both of whom had uh, very, very eloquent essays that made a big effect on me when I was younger, talking about how if you let somebody believe something that is wrong or irrational but seems harmless, they are more mm. likely to believe something that is going to harm them or somebody else down the line. Or there's somebody like, I think it was Kant was the philosopher who said that it is morally wrong to believe something that is incorrect because your beliefs inform your actions. So invariably you will do the wrong thing if you believe the wrong things, you, you know, no matter mm. how good your intentions are. And those arguments hold a lot of water for me. But on the other hand, I also struggle with the seeming contradiction of I'm surrounded every day by people who have beliefs that I would call irrational but their actions don't appear to be irrational. You know, the bus driver stays on the road. Uh, you know, the surgeon, you know, the, excuse me, you know, the surgeon's patients all make it through. Uh, you know, they're, they're making most of the same decisions that I would. And when they don't, you know, there are often other reasons. Uh, this is hmm. not to say that people don't do, quote unquote, crazy things for religious reasons. Of course, we know they do. And when they do, they usually make the news because that is unusual. So... Um, on paper, if you told me like, you know, here's a list of, here's a list of 10 kooky seeming things that somebody might believe. Do you trust this person to make good decisions in their life around you? I would say, no, no, absolutely not. No. Uh, but then you go out into the world and it happens and everything is again, not fine, but certainly not as bad as I would have projected on that. So I, I don't really know how to deal with that. That, that creates a lot of, if you'll, Pardon, yeah. there's, so there's tension in my mind between what I would expect emotionally and what I know was actually happening. And I don't know how to make sense out of that. That's actually really, really interesting because I agree with you. You know, I struggle with that tension myself. And I keep when I think about that, I keep recalling this conversation 
with I forget his name, but he is the one of the leading scholars on the Heaven's Gate cult, and I had him on the show. Of course, Heaven's Gate, the kind of suicide death cult that committed mass suicide in 96 or 97 or whenever it was. Uh, But one of the things that he just said about the broader kind of religious culture, um, not specific to Heaven's Gate, but just culturally religion in general in America is he says that there are a lot more and more and I don't know how true this is. Like, the, this is just me reflecting on his words. He said that there are more and more people who are compartmentalizing their religion in a um, Stephen Jay Gould, non-overlapping magisteria sense, meaning science and religion are non-overlapping magisteria. They don't touch. They one. I, I disagree with that. 100%. I do not think that that is a coherent worldview, personally. Um, but they have compartmentalized it in such a way that they can believe things that I think are irrational, but do not necessarily interact with the world in a very negative sense, you know? And um, and so I guess it all just comes down to how one compartmentalizes their beliefs. If, if that, I guess, if that makes sense, you know, how, how much does, how much does one's belief in the supernatural or, or some other unverified claim, how much does that infiltrate or infect other parts of their worldview? And, uh, and I really see that as, as being, as differing between different believers, you know, as, as between different individuals, um, and that just adds like this whole extra level of complexity to that question, you know? Yeah, I just think that, you know, we can't assume that other human beings are perfectly logical and that they recognize or acknowledge that there are these contradictions within their own belief systems. I mean, yeah. that's why we're humans. We're not Vulcans here. Um, yeah. And that applies to us, too. I mean, like us, like me, I'm. Oh, for sure. You know, like years later, I I will look back on something and be like, oh, my God, that those things that I believe those were in total contradiction with each other. And I'm probably completely unaware of them right now, you know. Yeah. I mean, someone can have compartmentalized their religious beliefs with any beliefs that they might have in science. And uh, if they don't come in direct conflict, they just maybe just don't think about it too hard. And yeah. I think for some folks, when they do come into conflict, then maybe one will outweigh the other, but that contradiction still exists within them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I do really worry in the context of COVID-19 and conspiracy theory, I do really worry that conspiracy thinking that previously just seemed kind of cute or fringe or whatever, but but harmless, to a lot of people, now that we are actually in a crisis, I'm worried that that those patterns of thought, exactly what Daniel was just saying, that those patterns of thought will turn very dangerous. Like when there's a when there's a vaccine out for the novel coronavirus um 
I really, really worry about how people who are suspicious of vaccines or suspicious of medical establishment, et cetera, I really worry about how they are going to respond to that vaccine. And so, you know, a mama who was previously just, you know, kind of resented having to go to the doctor and and taking her kids to the doctor and kind of distrusted the medical establishment. But it was kind of, I don't know, under the radar or it wasn't very intense. She kind of almost unconsciously preferred home remedies to taking her kids to the doctor for whatever reason. I fear that she was this a casual whole... anti-vaxxer instead of a sure. professional anti-vaxxer or or a or a casual uh alternative medicine person you know and and my fear is that the situation is just going to ramp up that conspiracy thinking and when there is a when there when there is a vaccine i really worry about how they will respond to it you know that that's what's keeping me up right now yeah I- I, I think that that's understandable. Um, I do think that, I mean, polls have shown that for the most part, Americans are on board with the uh, instructions and guidelines to keep them from contracting or spreading uh, COVID-19. Most people, uh, whether they they don't maybe don't like them, but most people are pretty uh, understanding and accepting of shelter in place. It's just that the fringe is louder and more visible um you know Mm. so so people uh who listen to black mass appeal know i'm not the conspiracy person here you know partially why we have daniel (laughs) Um, (laughs) the resident expert exactly now my thing is that i just find them boring um i kind of don't care what random joe schmo with tinfoil on his head thinks um, I also don't like, I don't like giving these people oxygen. Um, I get concerned when, uh, people try and go wider with like debunking these theories. Well, unfortunately, then you end up spreading the theory. Mm. However, um, you know, I do think that this is a time when we've seen more conspiracy hit the mainstream. I mean, we had it a little bit when stuff like Pizzagate made the news and Obama's birth certificate. But this is really like we have people showing up kind of in mass at these protests. We have the president retweeting Q people. The, yes. What are they called? Daniel, the Q people. QAnon. QAnon. Yeah. The Q. I prefer the Q people. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't so, tarnish like, Q's name from Star Trek to Next Generation. Okay. Exactly. James Bond. The Q people sounds like a BBC radio sci-fi series from 1979. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I new, would watch new radio that. show idea. Re- I would watch the Q people. Responding to a couple of things that Simone just said, and, and she's right in that, um, um, first of all, yes, actually, conspiracies are quite boring and dull and disinteresting if you get into the meat of them, but what substance there is. They can be made to sound entertaining. For example, if I told you right now that I am searching for a YouTube video that I saw uh, over two years ago now that seems to have, uh, is now so obscure that I'm having trouble finding it, which 
proposed this uh, conspiracy theory that in 2016, right before the presidential election, John Kerry went to Antarctica to speak with the fallen angels who have been trapped in the ice for thousands of years to ask if they would intervene and change the outcome of the election, and they refused, and then they caused an earthquake in New Zealand as a warning to him not to question their authority again. That sounds awesome, right? I mean, it sounds stupid, oh, man. but it sounds like an entertaining that, idea. But if That you listen sounds to like the- it would be a great Marvel movie. <laughs> Yeah. So I was going to say like a James Cameron movie or John Carpenter, but yeah. Yes. 100%. Ridley Scott is probably turning this into another alien sequel as we speak, um, another Prometheus sequel. Um, So, like, hearing me say that, that sounds entertaining. Hearing somebody talk about it for 35 minutes is fucking death warmed over. Um, So, yeah, this material can be made to be entertaining if it's adapted through somebody who is, frankly, more competent. that question of do you help them by trying to debunk them, do you end up amplifying them? That is really mm. dangerous. I tend to lean towards if anybody's a fan of Natalie Wynn, who does the YouTube series Contra- I Contrapoints. Fucking love Natalie Wynn. She she did Sorry. a she did Fan a very girl right here. Yes. <laughs> she did a very long video recently where she talked about one of the things she talked about was how one of the things that made leftist content more popular on YouTube was when people stopped trying to respond in an emotional way or a logical way, stopped trying to debunk right-wing conspiracy mindsets on YouTube and just started responding to them with ridicule, started saying- And started cringing at them. Yeah, these people are not just wrong, they're ridiculous. And that, she feels, is a very powerful way to undermine them. And I happen to agree, actually. And I think maybe that's a reason, maybe that's something we spend all the time talking about, not to invoke he who must not be named, but we spend all the time saying Trump is wrong and Trump is morally offensive. Maybe we should spend more time pointing out Trump is ridiculous. Trump is absurd. Trump is like a a Commedia dell'arte character from 16th century Italy. Like, you couldn't make (laughs) up somebody this ridiculous if you if you if you try if you wanted to, it would, nobody would believe it, and yet it is real. So those are the kinds of things that I tend to think about. I think that um, giving people scrutiny hmm. in ways that deflates their egos and makes it harder to take them seriously um, is is important because otherwise you can risk falling into that trap. That's my opinion. I com- I think that's I think that's true, and I think that we, I you know I I think that there are too many kind of op ed pieces just very seriously saying here are all the ways that so-and-so is wrong. Here are all the ways that QAnon is wrong. Here's all the ways that Trump is wrong. And, and just in a very measured way, trying to debunk it. And, and I'm not sure if that works anymore. You know, we live in this degenerate hellscape called the internet where sometimes you just have to ruthlessly mock something (laughs) like you have to, to ruthlessly ridicule it. I mean, these people already believe that there's like a cannibal pedophile trafficking ring. Like if you if you already believe that, I don't think logic's going to shake that off of you. Exactly. Exactly. And but mockery does. Mockery will. You know, and also I was talking to a guy named Vosh on um, on the show several months ago, and he said that. And he's kind of a controversial figure. You know, he's, he says some stuff that I personally probably wouldn't say. Um, but what he does is he de-radicalizes Nazis on the Internet, and he's really fucking good at it. And so he, he's, he just sits on a stream all day long and fights with Nazis. And I would fucking die. I would hate to do that. I would be so that bad at like it. That sounds like the worst. <laughs> it, and he, but he is so great at it. 
And w- when I asked him about his methods of how he does it, he said an, an, another thing that he said was, all I can do is show them where they are inconsistent in their own beliefs. Uh, and, and so he was like, you know, these these white guys really, really value the image of rationality. They really value the image of kind of being the big-brained, rational dude who can just philosophize his way into bigotry. <laughs> and he says, my job, if I remember him correctly, my job is to point out how ridiculous their thinking is and to reveal the lie of their own rationality. Um, and I thought that was very clever. I, I guess, But I don't know. I think mockery definitely has a place in that. And yeah, go on. I was just going to say, um, you know, uh, one thing I think is interesting is that sometimes folks think that they're these people who really pride their uh, rationality, their logic, their intelligence. But they become so arrogant about it that it makes them really easy targets to derail them. You know, you mm. think you're I, I work in a field that has um, some work with uh, frauds and scams and folks all the time think that, oh, I'm never going to get scammed. I'm too smart. I could totally spot one. That's for other people. Um, and then they get scammed and they lose like seventy two thousand dollars. So in sort of in the same way, you think that mm. I'm not going to fall for conspiracy theory. I'm too smart. I'm not going to you know end up in a cult. I'm too smart. Uh, that just kind of opens you up to putting on these blinders that that allow you to get duped yeah absolutely i'm curious pose a question yes please yes Um, please because by the way by the way before we do that i just want to make sure did we all get introduced at the beginning of the show i don't think any of us got oh shoot we 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 just jumped into it we just jumped right in okay (laughs) danny we just dove on in (laughs) okay i'm so here I'm so sorry, people. Okay. Daniel, you know who we hello. are, right? I know who you are, but just Daniel, make up names hello. for us. <laughs> I mean, you say- said our names at the beginning of the show. And okay, good. By process of elimination, people will have figured out who each of these voices are. Or not. Maybe. One never knows. All okay. right, Daniel, just don't go for it. Do your thing. Oh, uh, this conversation is butting up something I just wrote no, about. No, d- on- introduce yourself. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. We already know who we are. Just which one? Who is t- who is Tabitha? Say hello, I, Tabitha. It's me. Hello. Okay. I am Tabitha. Hello. <laughs> Simone, say hello. Hi, this is Simone. I think my voice is slightly lower than Tabitha's. That's how I'm you can the, tell. I'm the one that does the doots. <laughs> the doot, 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 doot on Black Mass Appeal. And then Daniel, the Hi. deep, manly voice. He's the conspiracy guy. Okay. Daniel, do continue. Oh, uh, this conversation is butting up something uh, against something I just wrote about on the SBA blog, which is I personally, at least, and maybe we all share this experience, feel some tension and some weirdness when, on the one hand, we like to say things like, like, yes, Satan, the radical, the revolutionary, be an mm. independent free thinker, don't trust, you know, trust your own decision making over these rote guidelines. That is what society needs. That's how you can get ahead. Yeah, that's that's how, how we can have can heal these problems in ourselves and in the world around us. Um, But then on the other hand, to be in the position of saying, actually, in this case, do listen to the CDC, 
do listen to the county health officer. <laughs> Don't be a worthless drama sponge who is just out there causing trouble. In this time, actually do do what you're told. Now, that's not actually a contradictory position at all, because if anybody's telling you, like, uh, break, uh, don't follow the rules even when they're actually good for you. Well, you know, that's that's uh, a ridiculous position that nobody would be in. But my point is, it doesn't feel, it, it's not nearly as gratifying personally to be in the position of saying, actually, this time, you know, go, go, uh, actually this time play ball, you know, and maybe that's why mm. that's something that's driving these, these protesters is again, it's, it's, it's much more satisfying for them to be in this position that even though it's ridiculous and wrong, but it's, 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 it's just more fun. It's just a better outlet for them. It's more catharsis. That's my guess. I don't know. I, how, how do other people deal with these kinds of things? Well, I think uh, that's true. Yeah. Go on. So Daniel's, uh, uh, satanic Bay area blog post was excellent by the way, um, you know, people will like, you know, people who are, are skeptics of like uh, science and medicine and vaccines and whatnot, they'll always say stuff like, do your own research, find out for yourself. Don't listen to these people, these medical professionals. And I'm like, okay, uh, so where in my condo am I setting up my contagious diseases lab? Because <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the scientists on this one because it's literally their job and their educational background and their practice. Yeah, so, who do they think did research in the first place that you're going to go look at? Yeah. Looking at YouTube is not research. Uh, so. Unless you know, re it, your research is funny cat videos. <laughs> that's right. I research cute cats all day. But uh, uh, I would still defer am, to Jackson Galaxy. I am at the point in my, by the way, full disclosure, moment of vulnerability here. I am at the point in this pandemic where I am just like endlessly scrolling pictures of cats and weeping for no goddamn reason. So that's been my headspace lately. Just like two hours at a time, just scrolling cats picture after picture after picture of cats and and just like shedding tears for no goddamn reason so that's my mental state by the way i have been... totally been there <laughs> cats, cats are good and pure and love and softness and cuddles and it just makes me feel better to see that people around the world, like I've seen Russian cat videos, and as uh -huh. long as the cat's fucking cute, it doesn't matter what language the humans are speaking in the background. Japanese cat videos, the world is brought together by cute cats. The most, the most uniting thing in the human race right now are cute cat videos. I 100% agree. Actually, so, my my guilty thing is i've been watching those like where they take animals off the street and clean them up and give them home oh, videos no. <laughs> that's oh my god i've been I openly weeping i've been like watching tons of yes. them on my phone in the middle of the night and being like they're so happy <laughs> i i can't watch those they those they were upsetting me so much like I just the regular they, cats are upsetting you, so I don't think you can get there. <laughs> I, I can't. Yes, I can't deal with. Well, just animals hurting. Ugh. I can't. I just can't. Yeah, I can't. And I just watch horror. I only watch horror movies, so I can watch a person get disemboweled mm -hmm. in a in a movie and 
and scream bloody murder and be impregnated by an alien or whatever. And I'm fine, <laughs> but I cannot watch any kind of like animal suffering. It just kills me. Oh, yeah. I- I'm watching like, you know, my favorite TV show is Hannibal and I'm watching Hannibal cut up bodies and serve them. And I'm just like, you know, eating popcorn on the couch like, oh, this is great. I saw the movie The Autopsy of Jane Doe yes. in the theaters and about a third of the way through something very bad happens to a cat. And I burst into tears in the theater so hard that the person I was with, like, thought that there was something wrong with me. And then I cried for about probably another 20 minutes before I calmed myself down. So, yeah, girl, I totally get that. We are on the same page. (laughs) And you were saying something very thoughtful before I totally derailed it. It was my fault. Sorry. I tried to talk about cats. (laughs) Oh, uh. I was responding to something like Daniel said. I don't know. We've kind of lost it's that it. train. Let's forge ahead. <laughs> sure. I just, so I just, I just want to add. Yes, um, please. It's interesting what Simone just said when you're watching the cat video and you don't care what language people are speaking. Uh, that's good. That's actually getting into the cat's headspace. The cat also doesn't care what language anybody is speaking or really what its owner is saying at all most of the time. <laughs> and like cat videos, I think, are are particularly appealing to us because they're sort of a way to become more like a cat. When you watch the cat video, you don't care about the humans. You don't care about what they want or what their priorities are. You care about what the cat is doing right that second. In that way, you are just like the cat. That's very true. So speaking of cats, by the way, so my partner, John, he recent, you know, the scary nun from the Conjuring movies, Mm -hmm. the, the, the Volek, I think is her name, like that really scary nun from the Conjuring universe. So he got a Volek doll. And the thing is fucking terrifying. And several <laughs> days ago, it was delivered because we have a ho- kind of, our living room is like horror themed. And then my office Sweet. is like occult and Satan themed. So I have like my altar in here and all my weird, scary occult stuff. And then the bedroom is like alien and paranormal encrypted themed. And then Ooh. the kitchen and dining room are like witch themed. So. It's fun. We live in a very witchy house, but we also live in like redneck country. So whenever like a plumber comes by, we're like, okay, quick, put everything away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But all that aside, so we get this Volick doll and the moment John pulls it out, Eli, who is one of our four cats and he's the, he's a big boy. He's a fat boy. He is just looking up at it adoringly oh he has some weird affinity for this evil nun (laughs) and and then he's and now he sleeps with it (gasps) he sleeps on its lap he he grooms it he is like she is his best friend now and like they're they're constantly sleeping together. They're constantly like he's like constantly cuddling her and grooming her. And it is the weirdest fucking thing. I need pictures of this, please. Cats I have are so good. <laughs> they are so good. I have pictures. I'll send them to you in yes. uh, an email after we're done. Yes. Um, yes. So I can talk about cats all day long. Um. 
when it when can and I, this is something yes please can, can i go on a tangent there i apologize i would love for you to go on a tangent we're actually i don't know if we we're getting ready to um we, we let the Patreon backers vote recently on what the themes of upcoming shows would be, something that we do a couple of times a year. And one of the options that is proving pretty popular is a show about uh, about Goetic Demons. Um, about, say that say that one more time? About Goetic Demons. Goetic and, Demons. Yeah, from the Lesser, okay. key of, from Lesser Key of Solomon and False Hierarchy yes. and, and yes. along those lines. Volok actually is the name of a demon from both of those books. But it doesn't really have anything to do with the, the demon in the movie. They just picked a name that they thought sounded good, which, you know, is fine. Um, but I like to point out, Volok is also the demon in a Hellboy story by Mike Mignola, um, Box of Evil, which is one of my favorites. And in there, I noticed that there was attention to detail. For example, like if you look at the box, it's got the exact right seal on there. And then there's a scene in there where Volok uh, tells the character where to find buried treasure in the castle, which is one of those things Volok is supposed to do for you. It helps you find treasure. So hmm. my point is, you don't have to pay attention to details because like what percentage of the audience is even going to know or care but i do feel like it kind of improves i respect a writer more when they bother to when they they show you that yes i did bother to not only do a small amount of research but also like make sure some things in the story correspond to that like you know we didn't just just, you know like picking a name is, is fine but i'm impressed i'm impressed when somebody goes an extra step so that's just me I agree. And that's one thing that I really liked about, um, oh, what was that movie? Hereditary. With oh, I was going to bring that up. King Paimon. Yes. I thought Hereditary was brilliant. It was and an experience. It was, <laughs> so, it was so great. And I loved the um, the occult underpinnings in it. I, I thought that was so well done. Um, so I have some questions here from listeners. Um, fortunately, they're all very stupid questions, so we don't have to think very hard about it. Are they questions Uh, actually for us? Yes. So lately what I've been doing is whenever I get a guest on, I just send out a tweet like, hey, I'm interviewing so-and-so. Do you have any questions? Um, just to get where, just to see if there's anything interesting that comes up. So, uh, Peterson Toscano asks... Uh, what did they have for breakfast? Ooh, I had honey bunches of oats and I was taking the honey bunches of oats out of the Costco two pack box because we went to Costco to stock up and I have a Tupperware container that I put the cereal in to maintain freshness, but this was a new kind of box and I severely misjudged the amount of cereal in the box did not make it all into the Tupperware. Uh, so then there was just a bowl, like a big mixing bowl full of extra cereal on the counter for most of the morning that my boyfriend and I picked off throughout the rest of the morning. Very good. That is an excellent story. Would anyone else like to share? <laughs> yeah, this week I am working extremely early in the morning to try and get some stuff out the door. So I got up at 5.30 in the morning and I have some like Nature Valley protein bars or some shit that I eat in the morning. But I also took a Ziploc bag of cereal to work, which I then proceeded to pour. We have um, we have oat milk for like a, one of the products we do. So I poured oat milk 
into the bag with the cereal and ate cereal out of a fucking <laughs> Ziploc bag for my 10 that, minute break. <laughs> that is saving a bowl. That is saving a bowl. Desperate That's also time. very authentic apocalypse behavior. So there's that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Brand there. Um, exactly. I had a bowl of Frankenberry for breakfast. And uh, of course, of those, course you did. Those in the audience who are familiar with the General Mills monster cereals will be confused by that because, of course, they are only available in stores two months out of the year. Uh, so what I do is I stock up and uh, I try to make the supply last as long as possible. <laughs> and here's a tip for you. Since stores have to stop stocking them after Halloween, you can they usually put them on sale. And so I still remember it was 2014, the day I was like in Safeway getting ready to go over to a friend's house. And I saw that they had like extra surplus boxes of Count Chocula, like three for five dollars. I'm like, that is a deal right there. So I was like going up to the checkout stand with like a stack of six boxes. And what was really funny is I was going over to a friend's house to I was at the time running a game of Vampire the Masquerade, the RPG. And so I show up and in one hand, I've got my bag with gaming supplies. And on the other hand, I've got a bag full of Count Chocula. And all my <laughs> players are like, where's he going with this? That <laughs> is that I, I love how just totally unadulterated and unironic that is. And it makes me so very happy. For anyone who's <laughs> curious, I was not able to find a way to work the cereal into the game. But like, if I ever Aww. run a vampire campaign again, that's probably going to happen at some point. <laughs> so Jack Maturko from uh, the Naked Diner podcast. and Hey, Jack. For hey, Jack. Hey, Jack. We love you. Also, for Infernal Use Only on Pathios and... Oh, what's his newest show on TST TV? I can't remember. Um, does he do Devil's Dispatch? Is that him? He does Devil's Devil's Dispatch, but he also does another one. He does like an oh. interview show. Is he, yeah, is he, he does Ongoing and Necessary Pursuit. Is that him? That's him. Yes, ongoing, ongoing and necessary pursuit on TST TV. So Jack Maturko, he does a lot of shit. He asks, "How do we acquire these for ritual purposes?" And then links an article about black diamond apples. And I don't know anything about this. And I was wondering if this was some kind of inside joke between looked, all of you. No. Okay. Uh, I will, I'll send you the link in, in the chat. Whoa. I mean, they're beautiful. Holy mackerel. They're gorgeous. Yeah. Here's, here's the link. I really think that they should, these should be used for satanic ritual purposes because these apples are fucking amazing. So I find uh, gemstones fascinating, just like the science of, you know, the difference between the stones and how stones are cut and, you know, graded on color and clarity and carrot and all that. Hmm. Um, what can I say? I just like looking at sparkly things. And I think I read somewhere that a lot of black diamond, just because of the uh, color, the, to get that color, there has to be like certain... Um, chemicals present and i just read somewhere that black diamonds a bunch of them come from space essentially you know landing cool. in meteorites Ooh, and all that that's some so lovecraft like, shit right there yeah and i'm like, <laughs> like the color so i really want space. black diamond jewelry to have like space you know black hole diamonds on me but to, to be clear we're not talking about black diamonds these are yes. black diamond apples there um, but what is it Oh, because so I'm not maybe... looking at a link. Are, there, are we talking about like actual edible apples? Yeah, or I thought we were... a, it is a black oh. apple. 
I thought we were I talking about the direction we were like, going in, though. diamonds that were like you know faceted into an apple shape. I mean, because yeah, I'm not, I'm not actually, just, oh, I got okay. it. Well, I got it. He wants us to change our name to Black Mass Apple. <laughs> uh, very good. Very good. Just so uh, I don't sound completely crazy, I watch a YouTube channel about uh, chemistry, and they talk about gemstones a lot. And this, the host went to a diamond cutting factory in Russia. And they had diamonds that had naturally kind of fallen into skull shapes. Oh. oh and they were the coolest fucking things I ever saw in my life. And I want one real bad. I, um, yes, I do too. Yes, go I, on, I Daniel. I don't know where we would get black diamond apples, but I seem to remember that there is a point in the process in the Disney movie Snow White where the apple turned black while the evil queen was putting a spell on it. And that was not the final product because, of course, like Snow White, I think, will agree, is not necessarily the sharpest tool in the shed. But even she probably would have looked a little bit askance at the black apple there. But I'm guessing <laughs> we could just reproduce the process up to that point and then stop. We would get an apple that is black and at least less poisonous than the one she ended up with both of which i would consider net improvements this is a Dude, brilliant just, just make idea. a candy apple with some black dye in the white chocolate or whatever you're dipping it in yeah there let's just make, delicious yeah let's just make candy apples let's call the whole thing off <laughs> Fair enough. very good we so jack we have your answer we will make candy apples and they will be served in the next black mass or something um the Classical Ideas podcast asks, what inspired them to spend time on a podcast instead of another avenue of creativity? So what got you into podcasting to begin with? Ah, well, um, so I come from a media background. I've worked in film and television and radio. Um, I was kind of an early adopter in terms of listening to podcasts, like starting in the very early thousandsies or whatever you however people say <laughs> mid aughts uh, early yeah, aughts. yeah. it's 2000 um, and change <laughs> and so uh and i have some friends and acquaintances who are in the professional podcasting business and i had always wanted to try it out i figured it was a very attainable medium um in terms of equipment and you know just the financial investment in it um you know, you don't have to have lighting, you don't have to have the visual on the camera. And I personally just love podcasts because I like to, you know, put my earbuds in and then go do the dishes or go about my day and like listen in on a conversation where if it's, you know, hosted by a good host or it's on a good topic, it feels like I'm just having a kind of conversation with my friends. It's very personal. Yes. Um, it's very comforting emotionally. Even when I'm listening to like podcasts about terrible, terrible murder, I'm like, oh yeah, I just it's me talking with my friends about serial killers. <laughs> so um Daniel and I, you know, we were talking about um different initiatives to uh kind of, you know, raise the profile of Satanic Bay Area, you know, um raise the profile of Satanism in general and dispel myths and talk about, you know, the issues that concerned us. And so it all just kind of clicked together that podcasts are great for long form discussions. So you can get into detail. You're not just clipping sound bites. Uh, you establish a rapport between uh, 
audience and host so that, you know, they get to know you, they get to trust you, they become more open to having these conversations. Um, and also, you know, just it's it's always a concern to uh, protect one's identity if you're openly identifying as a Satanist. You know, we're very lucky in that we really haven't had any problems, but, you know, mm. better to be on the safe side. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I think that I, th I think that one of the reasons why podcasts are doing so well is because I think a lot of people are feeling lonely just in general. I, I do think that more people are struggling with feeling isolated just in general. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, go on. Well, so it, it's kind of a, I, I kind of try and keep um, an eye on podcast industry news. And there's been a little back and forth about how much people are actually listening to podcasts right now. Um, more and more podcasts are being made because people are stuck at home and are looking for a project. Mm. Um, but, you know, to some uh, studies, the the number of listening, of listeners and minutes listened has gone down. And it's because people's schedules are so disrupted mm. that you usually have a routine of like, okay, I'm going to get in my car and drive to work and listen to my podcast, or I'm going to go to the gym and listen to my podcast. And people don't have those routines anymore. So they're missing out on that listening time. And even myself who, you know, I love listening to these shows. Uh, I don't have a commute anymore. Um, I'm yeah. <laughs> not that I went to the gym in the first place, but um and, you know, I'm stuck at home with my partner all the time and it feels, I don't know, almost rude to have my headphones in sure. uh, all the time. So I know that my listening minutes have gone down. Yeah, same, actually. And I don't know, I lately I have been finding myself listening to fewer podcasts just I don't know. I'm finding that what I'm really needing right now is kind of long form immersive media that I can just get lost in. So I'm finding mm -hmm. myself drawn more to audiobooks right now mm -hmm. that I can just put on for hours and hours and hours and hours at, at work. So, you know, like I can put on an audiobook when I'm in the office or when I'm stocking shelves and just forget about existence for a while. And I think that there's something that I need, there's something about that that I need right now. It's, it's kind of a form of self-care. Like I just, I just want to lose myself in a different world right now it, it, that, that can just take so much of my time and so much of my day. And so I'm, I find myself gravitating more towards audiobooks than podcasts right now because of that, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm watching more. I'm rewatching comfort comedy shows. So I'm rewatching Schitt's Creek. I'm rewatching yeah. The Good Place. Um, things where there are tons of jokes and the people are genuinely trying to be better people or to be nice to each other. And it's just like a balm on my soul that's ripped open daily by the news. Yep. Yeah. I would add uh, two things to answer the original question. One being that Back in, in 2017, Simone and I, there was a student over at the University of San Francisco, which is a Jesuit school, by the way. So, you know, the conspiracists can uh, can have some fun with that. <laughs> My um, partner is a Jesuit. Or was, was a Jesuit. 
uh oh well yeah i mean that's the uh the evidence is piling up um, isn't it though no he was doing an audio he, he did an audio project as a final in simone i don't even remember what the class was do you it was some audio production class i think i recall him saying that uh he'd had an interest in satanism and just decided to kind of use this project as an excuse to explore it which is not the first time we've heard that hmm. I, th- I think at the time it was the first time actually well eh, not the last time we heard it yeah i mean we've definitely gotten the the student who's like i'm in such and such a class i have to do a project i want to do it about satanism and we're like sure yeah so, i get okay. that too now yep so so that was a, at the at, at the time rare opportunity to talk about this with a third party and it was right after that simone and i finished that we left the campus we walked a couple blocks down to hate street and went into a bar and got a drink and started talking about things we could do for sba and that way if, if the podcast conversation had come up previously i don't remember but we did start seriously talking about it then so that was definitely one factor that at least helped spur it along uh, i would also add that we do a lot of other forms of creative expression tabitha is an excellent artist and cartoonist and um you know folks can uh, our, our satanic chick tracks are still available over at the bma shop those are really good sellers um, and they're great by always the way be could selling you... daniel <laughs> yes um, describe describe what those are by the way because they are so fucking hilarious and so amazingly well done like just tell people for a second what those things are tabitha you want to take this one uh sure so the satanic trick chick tracks are little three by five comic books that may seem sort of familiar to people who might have seen something similar uh on bus stops or handed to you by very strange looking people on halloween and uh See, the original things, the Chick Tracks, are little religious pamphlets that are poorly drawn by a, a sad, sad old man who is dead now. Uh, <laughs> and they're all yeah, about it's... God and how no matter, pretty much no matter what you do, unless you listen to him, things are going to go real, real bad for you. So we took <laughs> we took that idea and kind of put it on its head. Uh, Daniel wrote the first one, and our friend uh, Bridget wrote the second one. And actually, we are currently working on number three which Daniel wrote again. Uh, and I drew all of them. Uh, the first one is called Constitutional Rights, R-I-T-E-S, and it is about a certain senator that some people might be familiar with uh, uh-huh. and his Ten Commandments statue. Oh, yes. Uh, and then the second one is about abortion rights, which takes place in San Francisco. I spent a long time drawing the backgrounds on that one, so it's... Very important that you know that it takes place in San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) And that one's called Abort, Abort. Yes. I think that's so fucking hilarious. I love that. And the third one is going to be about Halloween. Very nice. Because, of course, Jack Chick, the uh, late original cartoonist who created the actual Chick Tracks, who you can learn more about in episode 68 of Black Mass Appeal, um, hated Halloween and wrote strange and hilarious anti-Halloween tracks that are some of his most ironically popular output even today. So it was kind of obvious yes. for us to do a pro-Halloween track at some point. Uh, on the topic of that title, by the way, uh, Bridget wrote just when she turned in the original draft of the script at the top of the page, it just said abort. And I assumed that that was a title. Turns out it was just like a placeholder. It was just like something she wrote up there. And I took the liberty of just multiplying by two because I thought that was funnier. And it wasn't until it was printed and done that she pointed out that was not really supposed to be a final title, but okay. So <laughs> there you have it. 
yeah. we have other projects as well. We've mentioned the blog already here. Um, we, uh, we, we got a YouTube channel that we're working on expanding. We're putting new content on there experimentally, um, especially in the last couple of months. Um, we, uh, have an audio drama that's in production. Actually, any unfaithful listeners who are wondering, cause we brought that up before where that is, all the lines are recorded. I just need time to put them all together and you, well, you would think I would have time right now, but there's always something. So that is, that is coming soon. And, uh, you know, we, we've got, um, I, I guess technically we even did, kind of did some live theater with Halloween last year. Um, so there's lots, there's always a lot going on. You also always have your, your rituals that you do, your community rituals, um, your black masses and, and whatnot that sound really cool. Uh, when I've heard about them on black mass appeal. They are super fun. We've got such a great group of folks that the energy is really great. It's uh, everyone's so accepting and understanding. And when we come together uh, for ritual, folks are in a jubilant mood. And so we get some real hearty hail Satan's thrown (laughs) out during the ritual. It's great. Yeah. Um, But yeah, as Satanic Bay Area, we have... I, I really am proud that we're so multifaceted and that we uh, have the, you know, religious, uh, quote unquote, spiritual or emotional uh, components with, you know, community and bonding and ritual. We have, uh, you know, a space for uh, philosophy and discussion because we have our uh, satanic salons, which are uh, structured, you know, group uh, discussions. Mm. We have, um, you know, community actions. We have, um, you know, art projects. We have just like basically something to offer for everybody. And that does include our, you know, media content. Some po- some folks like the podcast, some folks like the blog, some folks, you know, are, are big fans of the YouTube channel and course we've got people who like them all and we're very happy um so i i think maybe just the podcast uh is a little bit better known uh right now but we certainly have a ton to offer uh for our members locally and also for people who we know through the magic of the internet i mean I, i would just say in general in terms of the best things we do i would say top three in no particular order is the podcast the chick tracks and that time we burned donald trump in effigy those are definitely our best products <laughs> by far. your finest moments that's great and um i see you i i see all of you offering everything that a religion offers you know there is uh and i and i see the same thing in, in TST, but you guys at a very local level and very deliberately are providing community, providing fellowship, as they say in the Christian world, providing, um, but, but also events and ritual and art, the iconography of Satan, the symbolism, the, you know, getting together to have cathartic experiences. And and so I really see you as kind of just being on the ground in your own local community, doing what healthy religion does. 
and in all of its different facets, which is making art and bringing people together and taking care of the least of these, taking care of, you know, people who need love and, and so on and so forth. And I know that there's kind of this constant dispute uh, from non-Satanists of, well, is this really a religion? Is, is this really a religious organization? Are, how are you not all just, you know, progressive humanist atheists taking on... Drama queens. Re- <laughs> yes, you're, you're drama queens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you're drama queens and you are uh, radical anti-theists using religion as a cover, as a ploy. But when I look at what... I think that what you guys are doing in the Bay Area is just such an obvious refutation of that. Like, when you do your rituals, there aren't any Christians present to get triggered by it. You're doing it for you, right? <laughs> exactly. you're, doing, you're doing it for your own community. It isn't to troll anyone. It isn't to make a political statement to, to other Christians <laughs> or, or to, you know, people who might be offended by it. It is for your own catharsis. And that, to me, is just such an obvious clue that it is a religious community, you know? Hey, Stephen, can we bother you to write some press releases for us in the future? Just going to put that out there. Yeah, I want, it's like <laughs> three times I wanted to be like, oh, go on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Just, just tell me when and I will just sit on a mic and just gush about you guys. I would be Aww. happy to. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I really was like when I when I appeared on your show last time. Um, I don't get nervous before interviews. I really don't. But I was really fucking nervous. Oh, why? Before... You know, if you you listen to the show, you know we're huge dorks. <laughs> yes, I know. But for whatever I, but for whatever reason, I was really nervous because I am such a huge fan of Black Mass Appeal. No. Um. So. Well, Yes, go on. Oh, um, so I was just going to say, you know, uh, going back to what you were talking about, about Satanic Bay Area offering uh, fellowship and community and, you know, how that kind of is viewed by folks who aren't Satanists. Uh, So Satanic Bay Area, you know, we're not a religion in and of ourselves. We're not a temple. We're not a church. Yes. Um, The best analogy that I've heard is something that Daniel has said is that, you know, we're more of like, if you want to put it that way, like a Bible study group. Where, <laughs> I love that. Yes. I where, totally get that. Yeah. Because yeah, because we all like come from ever like slightly different um, belief sets. We don't have mm. one uh, overarching dogma. We don't all believe the same thing. That's fine. This is a space where we're here to discuss those differences and, you know, explore those things for ourselves and together with other people. Um, and a lot of it, you know, some of our members did come to us out of a rejection of the religion that they were brought up in Christianity, Catholicism, uh, Islam, whatever. Um, but when you're in the space with satanic Bay area, that doesn't really matter. The other religions don't really matter. It, what matters is, is what we are doing so while we acknowledge that you know this wasn't completely created in a vacuum uh in reference to other religions um that's not the point absolutely and here's the thing 
no religion is created in a vacuum. You know, all religion yeah. emerges from other religion. I mean, Buddhism emerged from Hinduism. Protestantism emerged from Catholicism. Christianity emerged from from Judaism and and so on and so forth. I mean, that's that's the way it's always been. And so to me, it really is not remarkable at all that now we have this subset of of people, many of whom are former Christians, many of whom are former uh, Muslims and and Jews and whatnot, taking aspects of their former religion and making something new with it. They're like that's just so intuitive to me that that would happen because that's how it's always happened. <laughs> you know, we we take something from from that old world or from our former life and we recreate it and we we turn it into something new. And so the fact that people leave and and join Satanism out of reaction to Christianity, which is which I personally didn't, but it's totally okay and valid that a ton of other people do. And but that doesn't make it any less of a religion, you know, and that doesn't mean yeah. that it's any less valid, you know. I think folks who aren't familiar with Satanism will see something like an inverted cross or see something that uh, that's a black mass or whatever. And they'll just go, oh, they're just mocking us. Right. But but it's not that it's using it as a jumping off point and using and, you know, evolving it to fit our needs. Yes. So it would be quite a boring and shallow religion if all we did was mock Christians. Yeah, we we yeah. we're more than that. Yeah, I, I don't I, have the time. I don't have the energy for that. <laughs> I would say. Three, Go on, Daniel. Please I would say three things. One earlier when we talked about like the the eclectic makeup of SBA, one thing I neglected to point out is we also get a lot of people who don't identify with any particular group or philosophy, or even necessarily have a very sound idea of their satanic identity when they meet us. They just have an interest or a calling or an emotional reaction and then mm. sometimes that that will you know develop um um through, through their interactions and through whatever is happening in their own lives so sometimes there there's a lot of people for whom there isn't even really particularly a word for it um outside of mm. you know the s word uh point number two is i always make the argument that the you're just trolls allegation is kind of a very it, it's, it's a very self-centered self-serving so self-centered yeah it, it's a way for I them to pretend agree it's a way for them to pretend that what we're doing is all about them and therefore secretly all about jesus and therefore secretly they're actually right and so for you know in, in this weird roundabout way uh, we're actually helping them um you know it, it's, mm. it's, it's they it's uh much much harder for them to accept this idea that we might that other people just have starkly different beliefs that they are expressing for themselves for their own purposes um, the other, that almost like offends them more that like that it's not about them. I think I think it would mm. offend them more if they figured it out. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I would bring up is if you read uh, Joe Laycock's book, Speak of the Devil, which, Stephen, I know you've read. Um, yes, I've reviewed it. Sev I've I've done several articles about it and it is fantastic. And uh, folks who are interested in hearing more from Joe Laycock can check out episode 56 of Black Mass Appeal, where he talked about exorcism. Great conversation. Okay. Always be sailing. You, <laughs> yes. How do you do the numbers? How do you just know the numbers off the top of your head? The secret is only a I few. I still have no idea. The secret is only some episodes get brought up a lot. So those ones I can remember. Okay. 
okay. a lot of them I remember us doing, but I couldn't tell you what the number is because, uh, you know, they just, for whatever reason, maybe they're not as popular. Maybe I don't refer back to those topics as often. Um, so that's how so I remember. So if I were to ones. do like, if I were to do like a pop quiz and just name a number, would you be able to tell me which episode it is? Probably not. Um, again, okay. Unless it's one of the, unless it's one of the really good ones that I bring up before. Sure. Um, but in that book, he made an interesting point that I never thought about before. Nobody has this conversation about other religions nobody yes. you know, you have arguments about religion all the time and about their validity and about uh, their place in society but like people who hate islam don't say islam is not a religion people who hate scientologists or are suspicious of scientologists don't say scientology is not a religion even other satanists like nobody said the church of satan is not a religion back you know 50 yes. years ago when they were making headlines people kind of took it for granted it's really only the satanic temple and then uh, in the wake of that independent groups like ours um that that question comes up and you might say well it's because of the atheism but no there are other atheistic religions it's much more unusual in the united states but they exist and this con- these kinds of arguments never happen and i find that fascinating uh laycock's argument is because no other religion has challenged um you know, kind of the, the, the assumptions that we make about uh, the practice and freedom of religion in America in the way that modern Satanism has just in the last, you know, five or six years, um, which mm. I, I don't know if that's true, but um, I don't have a counter hypothesis and it does sound good. So let's go. With yeah, it. it it sounds really good. And I I do think that he is onto something there because it's I mean, he's right. You know, one of the things that I always bring up all the time is you know, every so often someone will kind of approach me or confront me about the validity of TST or Satanism as a whole uh, being a religion. And and I, and I kind of probe where are they coming from? Like, what is it about this that that makes you feel like it isn't real? And one thing that comes up all the time is, oh, well, you're just political activists. And I, my response to that is, okay, well, wait, think about the Quakers, though. You know, the Quakers have been on the front lines of, relig- of, of, uh, of political movements for decades, forever. I mean, they've been on the front lines of anti-war movements and, and all kinds of great stuff. But you would never look at a Quaker and say, you're just using Quakerism as a ploy for your political agenda, you know, and it is equally absurd to do so for Satanists. And it really is unique to Satan or it really is unique to modern day Satanists, Um, you know, even non-theistic pagans who I think we have a lot of kinship with. Um, I think that that maybe non-theistic pagans are are the group that we might have the most uh, kinship with. Honestly, we it, it's very similar. Yeah. Um, they are not accused of be of not being a religion. Buddhists are not accused of not being a religion. Um, a, you know. Liberal Episcopalians are not accused of not being of religion. So why is it Satanist? And I think Joe Laycock is absolutely right. It is about how we are kind of deliberately challenging the the structures of uh, of bias in this country. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, I think it's a confluence of uh, a bunch of different factors. Uh, there's the the recency. You know, TST's only been, it's not even 10 years old yet. Um, there's the atheism, 
Mm. There's the, you know, some of the earlier uh, actions of TST were a little bit more on the trolley side, but they've Mm -hmm. since, you know, kind of rethought their approach. Yes. Um, You know, and I think that like if all those same things were applied to, say, a Christian group, like if we wanted to start like a new Christian group today and uh, wanted to use it for our political agendas, I I still think that people wouldn't question it that much. It's just you combine Satan with atheism with this is still really brand new, even though even though Satanism has been around a while, uh, I think for a to while. The public, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think to the public, um, if they knew anything about Satanism at all, they might have known something about Anton LaVey. But honestly, I I don't think if you pulled someone off the street, they would be able to peg Church of Satan as being an atheistic group. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I can um, I can prove that nobody knows that. Just look at the famous Church of Satan Twitter account. About 50 percent of its yeah. time is just explaining that fact to people in increasingly <laughs> exasperated tones, which makes me wonder what they have been doing for the last 53 years, 55 years, however long it's been now. If nobody, it basically 0% of the public knows literally the first thing about them. Uh, but that's a, that's another question. That's a, maybe a question for another time. I am going to refrain from saying anything snarky about COS. This is me being a good boy. <laughs> and not starting a, a, a flame war. <laughs> I always feel bad when we get messages from people who are like, oh yeah, I really want to go visit the Black House and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm like, it's a freeway, or I think it's yeah, condos. It's, gone. it's been condos for a long time. Sorry. <laughs> it, like it was demolished in the 90s, wasn't it? Like, it was yeah. 2000. Long, long time ago. Yeah. 2000. Uh, okay. That was something I learned reading, reading Laycock's book that I never knew before is that at one point they repainted it because they were sick of all the attention. They painted the Black House beige, which. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's not, that's not. I don't, cool. I don't like to so like use the term sellout, but wow. Um, so, uh, on yeah. the said, group, let's just go ahead. with the term sellout. <laughs> on the subject of. Yes. On the, on the subject of atheistic religion, uh, one of my. What it, I, thing i was fascinated to learn a couple of years ago when uh pew forums did a did a um new series of numbers about american religion i love pew's religious surveys for the record that's just fascinating data and they talked they're talking about uh how many americans identify as atheist or agnostic or you know non-believing and then what that means because that often does not mean what we think it means Mm, and one of the stats that i found fascinating in there was they said that two percent of american christians said they do not believe in god but they still responded to that survey as christians so yes uh on one hand two percent is you know not very many relative to the other 98 percent. but think about how many people that must be in practice that's that's a huge community of folks who are probably isolated but if they all got together and formed an atheistic christian church that would not be that difficult or even necessarily that weird but it definitely would it would definitely challenge a few things i will i bet they would be considered a religion (laughs) yes you know lucian when i had him just recently on the show he said you know non-theistic religion probably won't gain validity in the united states until some christian group does it and i and i think he's probably right about that but also, that is what I was trying to do before I just decided to leave. You know, I, I still, you know, there's still people 
in the satanic community who refer to me as a satanic Christian or a Christian Satanist, <laughs> which I don't, I don't refer to myself in that way, but I, I get where they're coming from because I still work for a church actually. Um, and I, that to me is not a conflict. It's a super progressive Episcopalian church. I teach yoga for them. And I am still connected to the progressive Christian world because I find common cause with them in their social justice goals. And, and you know, I have quite a bit of respect for some of the Christian traditions that nurtured me. I have less respect for many of the other traditions, but some of the traditions I, I have a lot of respect for. I don't call myself a Christian. I, I don't consider myself a Christian. I consider myself post-Christian. However, all that said, before I, before I made that move to being post-Christian and just being like, I'm sick of this. I'm, I'm tired of the fight, so I'm just going to leave. Um, before I did that, I was trying to carve out a place for myself as a non-theist. And it was horrible. It was an absolutely horrible, horrible experience, even in the progressive world even in the progressive Christian world, because there's actually, um, you know, th this is kind of anecdotal, but I think that within, like, even the Episcopal Church, there is a resurgence of theologically conservative, socially progressive Christianity. So what that means is theologically much more creedal and orthodox, whereas socially very progressive, pro-gay marriage, usually just straight-up socialist, pro-women, pro-trans people, so on and so forth. Um, and But they responded to me very poorly. And I was just like, you know, after how many years of just fighting for my inclusion in the church as a gay person, and then coming up against this wall as a non-theist, I was just like, oh, just fuck this. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done fighting. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to go be with Satan. I'm just going to go be a Satanist. <laughs> uh, so I, I do agree. I think that, I think that non-theism is the future of religion, or a, it will have a big part in the future of religion. And I think that that's also true of Christianity. But I think for Christianity, it is going to be a really big fight because they are, they are doing a lot to suppress non-theism it is it's kind of ugly so those are my hmm. those are my long-winded thoughts on that um once a, once so, or twice sorry to interrupt you yeah no go on once or twice i think we referenced on the show i believe it's called the clergy project which is a non-profit that is aimed at helping people who are ministers or clergy members of various titles and denominations who want to leave the church because the, in most cases they no longer believe but at the same time yeah. what are they supposed to do not only is their whole life wrapped up in this but like i don't know if you know this but like if you've been a baptist minister for 20 years you don't have a lot of other job skills that you can part that's all they can do exactly so they end up in this horrible horrible bind of really living a lie and having to mm. continue to provide this service to this, this community that really has no idea what they're going through. And I admit, I never thought about that problem until I heard about that group. They, and as soon as I did, oh, oh, the dark places my mind went. They could it's probably sell scary. cars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Very good. <laughs> so um, uh, one last question. 
before before we start wrapping things up here because we are already uh we we're already over an hour and a half um missy morbid the satanic housewife asks who is their dream guest who would be if you could get anyone on the podcast who would be your dream guest for black mass appeal no, we we got a bunch of a bunch of dream guests um well, uh, since I can't find any justifiable reason to get Trent Reznor on the show, I will go with Tobias Forge. Oh, the I was just about singer. to say Tobias Forge, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he's uh, the band Ghost, uh, yeah. quite popular amongst the satanic set, uh, including myself. And he is self-identified as a Satanist and uh, is making great art and music. And I think he would just be really fun. I, I agree. I think that would be fantastic. Also, I don't think I've ever told you guys this, but I have I discovered Ghost because of you. And <laughs> what? And that might be the biggest contribution to my life. <laughs> like I I am now <laughs> such a huge rabid Ghost fan and it is all thanks to Black Mass Appeal. Yay. Hooray. They, they need to pay us royalties by yeah. being on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I, Tobias I Forge. I feel like I would freak out <laughs> if they were on the, if he was on the show. <laughs> All right. Well sometimes I do that when uh, people might if they listen to our show might realize that sometimes when we do interviews I get really quiet because I get too nervous and I'm afraid I'm just gonna be like ah! <laughs> I I get that as as an interviewer, I get that because there are times when I've had people on the show where I'm like, why am I talking to you? Like you are so smart and, and you were just making me feel like such an idiot just by <laughs> being in my presence. <laughs> like why, why did you agree to this interview? <laughs> so no, I totally get that uh, quite often. Actually, I, I um there are several people I've interviewed where I'm just like you this is not a good use of your time right now but anyway <laughs> uh so I before guess, we wrap up oh, yes uh, go on so I was going to say uh I um I guess for me it, dream guest is not the term I'd be like if you gave me a magic lamp I would probably pick somebody more famous just so we get more attention but in terms of a guest who I really really coveted whom we recently came very close to uh, actually um potentially getting on the show is i, I was just in contact with uh kenneth lanning who if that name sounds familiar he is the fbi agent who wrote uh in 19 in the early 90s uh what was the exact title hang on i'm gonna look at it's a uh, investigator's guide to allegations of ritual child abuse in 1990 oh. which was the uh study it's called a monograph is as i the technical term mm. corrected me on this, which is why I now am careful about that. Uh, that did probably the most to debunk the SRA scare was not like one thing, but more than anything, this probably contributed to it. And I heard him on a couple of other podcasts recently. And I was first of all, kind of surprised to find he was still alive just because I had not heard anything mm. of him in a long time. He has, he has of course been working. Uh, I've since caught up on everything that he's done. He even published a book actually just two years ago. Um, so I emailed him and I said, 
hey, you know, um, I, I've read that monograph you did in the 90s. I'd like to do a close read of on the show. I've always wondered who would be a good guest for that. Do you feel up for this? And he actually did send us some some very lengthy and polite emails back to ask, talking, asking about, well, who are you? What's the show? What would you want to do? And eventually he declined only because there's some things going on in his personal life right now that he probably would not want me talking about. But it was very like, okay, I understand, you know, so a little disappointing there, but I would love to have that mm. conversation with him, especially with, you know, um, almost 30 years of hindsight now. Um, so maybe someday, who knows? And in Tabitha's case, Tabitha, I think I'm going to guess who who probably you would, and this is a person we made overtures to in the past also. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and guess. Uh, it, it's going to be Caitlin, right? Yeah, it's Kate and Jody. <laughs> oh, She's I think they ask a more I have been wanting to get her on. Well, I've been wanting to get her on the show forever. Um, yeah, same. Ugh. She would be great. Yeah. So, so Daniel, I have to say that is some peak satanic geekdom right there. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Caitlin Dowdy would be. She is a queen. And uh, if you if you get her on Black Mass Appeal, let me know and maybe put in a word for her for secret tension. Um, well, look, look, cool. look, I mean, like if anybody out there has got an inroad on that, we I feel like we've tried almost everything at this point. But Caitlin, you would have a really great time. I'm telling you, a great time. You you have. I know you talk about death all day long, but have you done it with a bunch of Satanists? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you All right. That video about the about the uh, about the paper she wrote in uh, in her in her uh, Christian school there about they were supposed to do one character from the Bible, so she did Satan about you know for her final paper. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I love her. She is a queen. Um, so it has been such a pleasure uh, hanging out with all of you tonight, and. I hope that this has been fun for my listeners as well. And for people who want to find your stuff, where can they do that? Well, um, you can find the podcast Black Mass Appeal on pretty much every podcast service. Um, Our website is blackmassappeal.com. You can find us as Black Mass Appeal on most social media networks. Um, And if you really want to, send us a message with a personal touch uh you could send us an old-fashioned email at blackmassappealpod at gmail.com if you want to find out more about satanic bay area check us out at satanicbayarea.com we are on facebook and on instagram as satanic bay area and you can follow us on twitter the handle there is at satanic sf email for us is satanic bay area at gmail and oh by the way if you're interested in more of tabitha's art that we referenced earlier you can also find more of that at our teespring shop Yes, everyone go buy Tabitha's art at the Teespring shop. I and... just panicked a little bit thinking I was going to have to come up with a menu item. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, because you... <laughs> because yeah. the, uh... I was like, oh, I got to think of something. Uh, so, by the way, it's cereal in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> cereal in a Ziploc bag. Yeah, for people who have no clue what we're talking about, they, Tabitha always gives... Um, a uh, uh, a menu item from their local coffee shop where they have satanic meetings. Um, anyway. At the end of every show when we do that spiel. At, at the end of every show. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It has been so much fun. And that is it 
for this show. As always, the music is by the bands The Jelly Rocks and Eleventy-Seven. You can find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. The artwork is by Ramakrishna Das, and this show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Media. And shall we go out on a Hail Satan? Yay! Yeah! Yay! Three, two, one. Hail Satan! Satan. (laughs) Beautiful. And thanks for having us. (laughs) Absolutely. It It was so much fun.